0: The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Thank you so much for coming to worship with us this morning as we're continuing our message series entitled, I Am Jesus. Several times throughout the book of John, Jesus says, I am, and then he gives a metaphor to describe an aspect of who he is. And this morning, we're going to be in John chapter number 8, verse number 12. Stand with me, if you would, as we read God's word together this morning. John chapter number 8 and verse number 12, Jesus said, Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This morning, pastor's going to bring a message entitled, I am the light. Welcome here to Ambassador Baptist Church on the second week in our sermon series simply entitled I am Jesus and over the last couple of weeks we've been looking at all the places in the gospel of John where Jesus says I am and then he uses a metaphor to help us as finite human beings understand the deep complexities of who the Messiah truly was Um, how many of you understand because we're finite, because we do not have all information and all wisdom, it's really hard, it's complicated to wrap our brains around who God is? And I mean, that's a big, big order to tackle. And so Jesus Christ, throughout the Gospel of John, he uses visual metaphors, symbolic imagery to help us as finite human beings, really come to grips and help us to understand in a deeper way who he really was for us. And as we learn about who Jesus is, it describes to us who we are. And so really, because of this study, we're not just learning more about who Jesus is, we're in essence learning more about who we are now that Christ is in us and we are Uh, Last week we kicked off the series with the uh, sermon, I am the bread. And and many of you will remember where Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Uh, He that receives me shall never hunger. And so we talked about how because Jesus is the bread, we can be ultimately satisfied in him and in him alone. Uh, today, we're going to be moving on to the next metaphor that Jesus Christ uses to describe himself, found here in the Gospel of John, chapter number 8, and verse number 12. So, to kind of get us started this morning, I believe on the screens is our theme for this particular message, and I want you to kind of see this because it'll help us as we move forward, and that is simply this When there is no Jesus, when we're not experiencing Him, There is no wisdom, and this is going to be important, and we'll unpack this here as we move through our study. But you'll see the next screen, to know Jesus is to know wisdom. There are a lot of people in this world who are looking for a deeper understanding in life. They're looking for greater enlightenment. They're looking for greater awareness. And they're trying to figure out what life's all about and how to make sense of their world. And And the scriptures teach us that in order to know that type of wisdom, in order to understand that type of deep Theological complexities that we truly have to know Jesus in order to deeply know. Wisdom and, and so we're going to unpack this and hopefully by the time we're done with this particular sermon, that statement will make a little more sense. So let's just dive right into it here today. Notice where the Bible says, Jesus declares. You'll see the words are written in red if you have a red letter edition of the Bible. And this reminds us that these are the exact words of Jesus Christ where he says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Now, uh, just to help us with the metaphor, light is illumination. Light is enlightenment. Light is sight. Uh, To look at the opposite, dark is blindness. Light is wisdom. Dark is ignorance. In in Daniel chapter number 2, the uh, prophet said this, He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness... But the light dwelleth with him. And so the prophet was reminding us here that in him is all light. In him is all illumination. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 30, the apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, said it this way. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, But of him are ye in Christ. And so we'll see here, if, if you're a believer if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior, then you are in him and Christ's spirit is in you, the Bible says. Now, notice the next part. This is what we're going to focus on. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, notice this, wisdom. Now, this is very important for us to understand here. The Bible literally says that God doesn't just give us wisdom. He doesn't just give us this arbitrary concept. He gives us a person. It is the person of Christ who is the very essence of wisdom. Let me define for just a moment what is wisdom. Wisdom is different than knowledge. Some people would think when we use the word wisdom, we could use it interchangeably with knowledge. And yet knowledge and wisdom are two separate things. Knowledge here is information. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge functionally and practically Have you ever met somebody who's like really smart like with facts? They're really smart with how much information they can hold in their brain But they just don't seem to be able to use it uh, in a practical way Uh, We would often say maybe people like this they, They don't really have a lot of common sense Might be a phrase we might use to describe that type of person. You see, they might have a lot of knowledge, but if they do not know how to functionally, practically use that knowledge, then it is not wisdom. And so what we're going to see today here is that 1 Corinthians tells us that in Christ Jesus, God made him to be wisdom for us. Literally, Jesus Christ is our wisdom which brings us here to our first thought this morning and I want you to notice if you're taking notes in your uh, service program you can follow along there but I want you to see first of all that Jesus is my wisdom first Corinthians says but of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us Jesus is made unto us our wisdom So God doesn't just give us this arbitrary idea of wisdom. He gives us the essence of wisdom, which is the very spirit of Jesus Christ. So Jesus does not just extend to us wisdom. He himself is the essence of wisdom. That's why people who are looking for enlightenment, they're looking for deeper understanding They're looking for a concept to get their brain around to help them make sense of life. To look for understanding and illumination and enlightenment outside of the person of Jesus Christ is an exercise in futility. Because it's not just something Jesus gives. It's not like Jesus says, oh, you want wisdom. Here, let me give you some. Jesus says, I am the personification of wisdom. I don't just extend wisdom. I am the essence of wisdom. If you want wisdom, you've got to get me. If you if you want to experience these things, then that is what you have for yourself. Jesus is my wisdom, all right? A couple of uh, years ago, we were going through a time where... Um, ...we were struggling because uh, we were right in between insurances. And so we had insurance and then we were going to get on some new insurance... ...but there happened to be a little gap in that uh, time period. And I was a little nervous because you know, we had little kids running around... ...and I, we didn't want anything. to. So we were always, hey, don't stand on the tables, don't jump off that. We were trying to be extra careful. And uh, sure enough, my oldest daughter, Ashlyn, uh, she fell down... ...and literally she put a gash in her forehead. And maybe some of you who have had young kids... Uh, you've done this before. and a huge gash right here. And I didn't, it was just bleed. Of course, head wounds bleed profusely, and it's kind of scary. You know, it's our first child, and we don't know what to do. And, and so we didn't. So sure, I just I took her to the emergency room, and I took her there. We got to the emergency room, and I took her to where we had the insurance before. And, and we're sitting there in the emergency room, and the nurse comes in, looks at some things. And then the doctor comes in, and, and I, I literally, and this is probably a horrible thing to say, but I said to the doctor, I said, I just, I need you to know, uh, I, I, don't have any insurance, and I don't, you know, do you have any idea how much this is going to cost? The doctor kind of looked at me and said, it's going to cost a lot. I said, what? She said, there's going to, I need to put in some stitches, and, uh, for my time, and all the things, and the insurance, it's just going to be a whole lot of money, and I, I was, I didn't know what to do, I was kind of torn, I said, like, what are my options? And she said, well, let's say hypothetically... This is the doctor talking to me. It was a lady. She said, let's say hypothetically I were to take these stitches... And all the gauze and everything I need... To put these stitches on your daughter. And let's just say hypothetically on my way out the door... I drop them in the trash can. And she said, let's say hypothetically... On your way out of this doctor's office... You hypothetically... Took all that stuff out of the trash can and took it home with you (laughs) and I said what hypothetically would I do next (laughs) she said hypothetically you would give stitches you would you would take care of the stitches for your daughter hypothetically I'm thinking to myself it was gonna be a couple grand or figure this thing, and some of you are gonna think I'm a horrible, horrible parent. But my wife will remember. I took my daughter home, how old? Seven years old at the time, six years old at the time. We laid her out on our on our dining room table. And her dad put stitches in her forehead. And she was just, ah, what's going on? And now, don't look too closely. All of you are going to be looking at my daughter saying, you know, I thought I did a fairly good job. I'll just kind of throw that out there. And there was a special way that you had to use the gauzes and the bandages and put those things in. It was a special tape. Now, she did tell me there was a special type of uh, stitching glue. And the doctor said, now, you've got to be extremely careful. If this connects to her eyelids, she will need surgery to get her eyelids back open. So you can only imagine how nervous I was. I'm shaking, you know. <laughs> But I'd like to tell the Ambassador Baptist Church that I successfully gave my daughter stitches, all right? And so, oh, there we go. Hey, I was, that's awesome. Right? That's really cool. So you really didn't have to clap, but if you want, that, no, I'm just kidding. You say, what was the point of that? The point is, in that situation, the doctor there at Kaiser gave me wisdom, gave me some functional ability to use knowledge in a very practical way. But Jesus does something more than just give us some wisdom. Jesus literally gives us himself who is the embodiment, who is the essence of wisdom. So why is the wisdom of Jesus superior maybe to the wisdom of some other so-called deity? Why is the wisdom of Jesus superior to some other enlightened institution? And sometimes they will be self-proclaimed. What makes the wisdom of Jesus superior? What makes it greater? And I'll simply say this, and that is because Jesus' wisdom is omnipresent wisdom. You say, what, what do you mean by that? You see, Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures, he was not confined to a singular location. In fact, as you read through the gospel, Jesus Christ, while physically in one place, was spiritually in many places. And so one aspect of Jesus' wisdom that makes it so superior is he is not limited to understanding just what is happening right here and right now. Jesus, in his omnipresence, is able to be here and there and over there all at the same time he gets a much broader picture of what's going on me and my finite mind i can see what's going on right now i can see the next step on the journey but jesus not only can he see the next step he's already there omnipresent here and there both in this time and in the next time jesus exists that's why he says i am I am. When are you? I I am. I always am. He is omnipresent. But not just that. Not only is Jesus' wisdom superior because he's omnipresent, he's everywhere at once as well as being at every time at once. And so it gives his perspective, it gives his wisdom so much more depth, so much more uh, ability. But not only is he omnipresent, he is omniscient. It's a fancy theological word that they taught me in seminary. Let me just tell you what it means. It just simply means all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows what the future holds. He knows what the past holds. He can see the beginning from the end. This is why you can trust Jesus, because Jesus is already there. I don't know how the future is going to play out. You might be thinking to yourself, I I don't know what's going to happen next, and I just want to declare to you, he's got it. He's omniscient. He's all knowing. He's already there. He already knows what's going to take place next. And you can trust him. Notice the phrase here in our passage in verse number 12, where the Bible says here in uh, verse number 12, it says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not. Notice this phrase walk in darkness. Walk in darkness. Do you ever feel like you're walking in darkness? Do you ever get confused about life? For those of you who are married, do you ever get, you ever like, w- what is going on? Like, <sighs> I can, how, do, how do we make this marriage thing make sense? It's so confusing. Uh, the person I married, I thought I knew them. I thought I understood them and then they, I don't. You ever feel confused about life? Man, have you ever gotten to a place where you're frustrated about how things are going because you just can't make sense of it all? You can't make sense. You can't, it seems like for so long one plus one equals two and then all of a sudden it seems like it, it doesn't. And, and like what used to work doesn't work and, and you're confused about why, frustrated about how things are going. You just feel like you're, you're in a dark room just trying to, you know, trying to figure out your bearings, trying to figure out where you're going and, and it's, just, it's just tough. You, you ever get into a place where life, it just doesn't make sense to you anymore? You ever been there? You ever experienced that maybe with your children? Any of you ever had a teenager and they went through a season, you're like, I just, I, I can't figure this one out. You ever been there with your finances before? You feel like you're just, you know, scrambling. It's like, I, I cannot figure this thing out. We, we, if we were to be honest, I think all of us have been there before. We've all been in places where we just felt like we were meandering in the darkness. And it's to that reality that I want to say to you Your hope is not in your ability to figure this thing out. Your hope is not in your ability to somehow get smarter. There might be a a, a practical place for that. Your hope is not found in the fact that if you just focus on it long enough and think about it hard enough that eventually you'll you'll save yourself. You'll figure this thing out. I want to say this, that your hope is found in the person of wisdom, and his name is Jesus. It's found in his presence. He is your hope. And we live in a world where everybody thinks, I can figure out my marriage on my own, and I can can figure this teen thing out on my own. I can figure this financial thing, and they try and they fail, and they try and they fail. It works for a while, then it doesn't, and they just feel like they're grappling in a dark room. And I want to say to you, it's in this moment that you need to lean and press into the person of wisdom whose name is Jesus I think this is in your service program, but it says this. It it is possible to be a walking encyclopedia of Bible knowledge and know all the answers of Scripture without really knowing Him who is the answer. And there is a big difference between knowing a Bible answer to something... And really knowing the person who is the answer, Jesus Christ. Really knowing Him personally. Experiencing Him personally. Because what you need is not just another cognitive, intellectual answer. You need the one who is the answer, the one who answers with love, who answers with peace, who answers with joy, who is a fuller dimension of the answer, not just a kind of singular dimension answer that only helps you on a cognitive, intellectual level. You need an answer that's bigger and broader and deeper and wider. And the answer's name is Jesus. It's more than just intellectual, it's personal, it's relational. His name's Jesus. Jesus is my wisdom. But let's keep moving on here today. Notice what it says at the end of verse 12. It says, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall, notice this, have the light of life. The light of life. So many are walking blindly. So many are living their lives confused when it comes to their marriage, when it comes to child rearing, when they just can't seem to figure it all out. But this leads us to our second idea in this passage, and that is this. Since Jesus is our wisdom, he does more than just give it. He is our wisdom. And it's in our relationship, abiding and dwelling with him, that we get to experience the wisdom that Jesus Christ is. So, since Jesus is our wisdom, I can be enlightened to his truth since jesus is my wisdom and i have a relationship with him i can be enlightened to his truth that is to say you and i can view life from god's perspective Uh, let's go to the scripture second corinthians chapter number four and verse number six says this for god who commanded the light to shine out of darkness notice this has shined in our hearts When we commit our lives to Christ and we experience Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, God allows it to shine in our hearts to do what? To give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He wants to give you an enlightenment, the light of knowledge, an understanding that's deeper than what your human psychology can conjure up. An experiential understanding that's, that's deeper than you can figure out on your own. He, some of you, you've been trying for years, and sometimes I struggle to try to figure something out and make something work. And the harder we try, it seems like the worse it gets. And Jesus is saying, just surrender to the wisdom that is already yours in your relationship with Christ. I am your wisdom. You do not need to struggle for that which you already possess in me. Yield. Yield to the wisdom that is already yours in the person of Christ. He gives us the light of knowledge. I want to take a moment and talk about what I'm going to refer to as a proper or biblical worldview. How many of you are familiar with that phrase? Raise your hand. Worldview. Most of us are kind of familiar with that concept. A worldview. It's highly important. As definition would go, your worldview is basically, it's a simplistic definition, but your worldview is basically the culmination of all of your beliefs. Every belief you have about anything, mix it all together... And you have a worldview. So everything you believe about theology, everything you believe about science, everything you believe about sociology, everything you believe about marriage and parenting, everything you believe about food and exercise, everything you believe about relationship, everything you think about McDonald's. I mean, you take all of it, the culmination of every belief that you have about anything and everything, you squish it together, and the culmination of that is your worldview. You say, why are you sharing this with us? Because your worldview is vitally, vitally important to how you experience life. So now that we understand what a worldview is by simplistic definition, let me give you further thought to chew on. Your worldview, now you take all your beliefs about everything, you squish them together, you have your worldview. Imagine, for the sake of illustration, that your worldview is a pair of glasses. Because honestly, this is what it is. Your worldview is a as a, a pair of glasses that causes you to see the world uniquely. Can I say this? Nobody else on the planet sees the world exactly the way you see it. Now, the longer you're married to somebody, your worldviews will begin to align. Uh, the, the The longer you have a friendship, maybe maybe you have a best friend or something. The longer you're together, it seems like your values will align, your beliefs will align, your motives will align, and so in light of that, your worldview will begin to align as well. But I will say this, at its very core, since nobody believes all the exact same things about everything, because we're not just talking theology, we're not just talking Bible, we're, we're talking about your beliefs about politics, your beliefs about, I mean, everything, all right? Just put it all together, each one of us, this worldview becomes a set of lenses, And those lenses then interpret the circumstances, they interpret the the details of your life. So this is why I can stand here and preach, like what I'm preaching right now, and yet we will get a lot of different interpretations in this crowd, because as we are a part of Getting information, every, all the information that I'm giving you right now from the Word of God is being filtered through your worldview to give you an interpretation of what it is I am saying. So do you realize in this room, though I am saying one thing, there is probably a hundred plus definitions, different interpretations that are being received in this very moment right now. This is what makes pastoring and communicating on any level highly complex. Incredibly difficult. I'll shake hands on my way out the door. And I got people, and they'll just love it. <laughs> ah, I loved what you had to say. And, and they love it. But as I get talking to them, they, have, they did not get it. <laughs> but they loved it. <laughs> that's cool. And, and you'll meet other people. And, and they, they love it, and they got it. Oh, that's cool. They, I, I, met, I get some other people. And they didn't like it. Now, when you start talking to them, they didn't get it either. <laughs> But they didn't like what they didn't get. (laughs) And then there are other people who didn't like it because they got it. (laughs) And they still didn't like it. And that happens every Sunday in this room. (laughs) Because every one of you walk into the back doors with a worldview. And your worldview becomes the lens by which you interpret every piece of information that gets given to you. Every circumstance that comes into your life, every situation that comes into your world, all of you will filter it through a lens called your worldview, the culmination of all your beliefs. And your spouse might have a similar worldview, but I can guarantee you it ain't the same. This is why you guys get in fights, because you see things differently. The same circumstance, the same situation, and yet the two of you will see it from different perspectives. It's the exact same facts. The exact same details. And as guys, we just, you know... Well, my wife must be stupid. We'll we'll pray for her. You guys don't do that. I know that. The lens. You say, why, why are you sharing this with us? Your worldview is highly important. Because it interprets everything that you receive. You see, some of you, tomorrow will be so depressed. You want to know why you'll be depressed? Because your worldview will interpret a situation in a way that maybe somebody else would interpret it differently. And because you interpret it in a way that's negative, it will cause you to get depressed and despondent. While somebody else will see the exact, have the exact same circumstances thrown at them, they'll experience the exact same situation, they will not get depressed by it because they have a different worldview. So, what's the goal? I would like to tell you, you should all have my worldview. Okay, those of you have been around, yeah, some of you are like new, and you're like, oh man, crazy, get out of here. No, that was a joke, not a very good one, but it, it, was, a, it was an attempt at one, all right? No. The goal is not for everybody to have my worldview. So I want to talk to you for just a moment as we conclude about how to get a biblical worldview. Okay? Since Jesus is our wisdom... We can be enlightened. But enlightenment is found in our ability to have a biblical, Christiocentric worldview. If we're going to see things as God sees them, then we have to interpret things as God interprets them. And we can only interpret things as God interprets them if we have the same worldview as God himself would have. So how does one go about? Psalms 119 says this, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a what's the next word light unto my path god's word becomes a light that illuminates what is otherwise darkness you see god's word in a biblical worldview will help you to see things that you would otherwise miss it exposes things that you would normally trip over in your marriage, you're frustrated. In your child-rearing, it's difficult because there's not illumination. There's not a biblical worldview that's bringing in enlightenment. And so what you look at some people and you're like, I don't understand. They're going through the same thing I'm going through. How come they're not depressed? They're going, I've, I, those people are doing what I'm doing. And why are they not discouraged? Why are they not frustrated? Why are they not angry? Here's why. They have a different worldview than you. And their different worldview causes them to have a different interpretation of events a different interpretation of situations, a different uh, uh, interpretation of uh, circumstances. So if you would like to develop a biblical worldview, here's what the scriptures have to say about going about it. I'm going to give you three just kind of wisdom principles for developing a biblical worldview. Because I don't want you to walk in darkness. I don't want you to stumble in your life. Too many of you, you're discouraged, and you're depressed, and you're stressed out, and you have no peace, and there is no joy in your life, and you're like, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. Why isn't, why isn't this working? Why isn't this coming together? Why can I? What's going on? You need enlightenment. You don't need, just need to know more because knowing more won't help you as long as you're interpreting it through an old lens. You see what I'm saying? I could preach to you time I'm blue in the face, giving you all types of information, but if your worldview never changes, you're going to keep interpreting it all wrong. You see how important the worldview is? Because somebody can accurately give you truth, but if your worldview is not biblical, you'll interpret it wrong, and you won't receive what it is that was given. And this is why your worldview is highly important. So ah, we don't need your worldview. We don't need my worldview. We need a biblical worldview so we can interpret things as God interprets things. Why? Because he is a light to our path. All right. First of all, I think they're going to put these on the screens. Saturate your heart in God's word by faith. That's number one. Saturate your heart in God's word with faith. A gentleman by the name of Pontius Pilate asked this question in the scriptures What is truth? It's a good question. You ever asked it before? What is truth? Is it my reality? Is that truth? Is it your reality? Is that truth? See, you know what most of us do? Most of us say our reality is the truth. Your reality is not truth, your reality is just that a perspective. One perspective. So the question is not, do you have my reality or do I have your reality? The question is, is our worldview deeply anchored to the scriptures? Saturate your heart in God's word by faith. The Bible says it this way, abiding in him. Just allow the word of God to saturate your mind. Allow the word of God to saturate your heart. Allow the word of God just to dwell in you richly the New Testament says. A lot of New Testament Christians, we don't even we don't do this. We don't just allow the word of God to saturate us mentally. We don't allow it to saturate our hearts in faith. You say, how do you do this? Some, on a real basic level, this is why spending reading God's words is important. I know this is like kindergarten stuff here, but this is why spending time reading the Bible can be important. Now, I will say this. Some of you are reading the Bible with an unbiblical worldview, and we're going to talk about that because you're not even able to interpret the Scripture properly. And all of us have been up late at night watching some TBN evangelist who totally misinterpret, so we understand on a level that this happens all over the place, that there are people who are very, in a major way, they are misinterpreting some major elements of Scripture. So, this is a start, but this is not where it's going to finish, because some of you, you saturate your hearts and minds in the Word of God, This this is a beginning, when we do that by faith, it starts a progression. Let's move on to number two. Study the Bible properly. This is is highly important. Most Christians don't know how to study the Bible properly. I'm just going to throw that out there. So what ends up happening is they eisegete Scripture. There's a term in seminary called exegete the Scripture, and there's eisegeting the Scripture. Exegete is where you allow the meaning that God intended in a passage to exit out of the passage to your heart. Isogeet is where you insert your own desires, you insert your own plans into a text, when really nobody else on the planet would have told you to do something based on that passage. ...but you, because you isolated something. So there's an exegetical approach to biblical interpretation. There's an isogetical approach to biblical interpretation. And it's very important. In, in seminary, they'll teach you what's called hermeneutical interpretation... ...which allows you a proper exegetical approach to biblical interpretation. And this is very important if you're going to get a biblical worldview. You say, I, I think this is all just semantics, Pastor. I don't, see, I don't see why. I mean, if I read the Bible, I read the Bible. What I get out of it is between me and the Holy Spirit... <laughs> Back in the 1800s, there were a lot of Christians who were using the Bible to validate why they owned slaves. Some of you are aware of this. They eisegeted the scriptures and were able to validate why human trafficking and human slavery was okay. Now, I understand that's an extreme example, okay? But Christians were doing it. And a lot of us do it on a much smaller scale. We insert what we want to, we, what we want to get out of the Bible, what will make us feel good, rather than exegete and allow the Bible to speak for itself. How do we do this? One of the simplest ways to accomplish this is by reading the Bible contextually, when the original authors were writing this passage, when the Holy Spirit of God was illuminating this portion of Scripture. What would have been its intended meaning within the context, the historical context, the sociological context, the theological context what would have been the meaning that would have emerged within its proper context not in this isogetical what using english words that you know had to be used to translate you know from hebrew to english and now this word has a different connotation in english than the original hebrew word ever would have had in its language but because now it got translated in english it's a good thing i'm glad we have the bible in english but now this particular word has a connotation in the 21st century that it might not even have had 100 years ago, but language is dynamic, and it's always changing, and now all of a sudden, the 21st century, there's a word that has connotation and meaning in my head through my worldview with my experiences that is so far removed from anything that would have been contextual or exegetical or a proper hermeneutical approach to biblical interpretation. And can I just say this? This is why one book can... St- have so many different denominations with so many different types of churches with so many Christians with so many different worldviews why because we actually tend to isagete it's common because it is based on the foundation that we have a worldview and I'm not I'm not talking about bad Christians I'm talking about well-intentioned Christians nice people moral people Good people, sincere people, who, because they do not have a biblical worldview, can make the Bible say just about anything they want it to say, and give them the liberty to do about whatever it is they want to do. Study the Bible properly. The Bible says in Second Timothy chapter number two, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Here's the next word, rightly dividing. Notice the phrase, rightly dividing, which would mean that there is a such thing as a wrongly dividing. Rightly dividing would be exegetical. Wrongly dividing would be eisegetical. Inserting our own meaning inserting our own ideas inserting our own plans using words that could have multiple kind of Connotations and then we pick and choose the one we like the best You say that doesn't happen in the church. I'm telling you it happens a lot <laughs> While I deeply believe In the inspiration of scriptures. I don't necessarily believe. In your interpretation of it. Because your interpretation. Is not reality. And my interpretation. Is not reality. His intrinsic meaning. Is reality. Like I said a moment ago. There have been some horrible, horrible atrocities done against mankind in the name of Bible truth. And I I don't need to do a whole history lesson on how people have eisegetically misinterpreted this book to give them the right to do all kinds of horrible, awful things to humanity. See, that doesn't make me feel comfortable. It's history. Because people with unbiblical worldviews, well-intentioned, ...had a worldview that was interpreting information... ...interpreting situations... ...interpreting circumstances... ...they got the... ...and then all of a sudden it was interpreted differently... ...that then gave them whatever it was to do... ...whatever it is they wanted to do. I'm going to put this on the screens. Most human beings are not aware... ...that there is a huge difference... ...between the intrinsic meaning of a text... ...and their own interpretation of it. Just let's get humble enough to admit... ...this reality, okay... There is a difference between something's intrinsic meaning and your interpretation of that essence, that reality. Let's keep moving on. Um, Most people don't have the humility to admit that their interpretation of Scripture and the actual meaning of what God intends to communicate are at their core two very distinct concepts. See, the human mind has a hard time wrapping its head around this reality. Because in our own frame of reference, in our own frame of world, our interpretation is reality. We need humility. Humility to at least communicate, at least to say that interpretation is not the same as reality. Let's just start there. I'm not even saying that you have to say that your interpretation is not reality. We we don't have to go there yet. I know that might be too much for some of us to bear but let's just start with the basic concept that these are two distinct things. Interpretation is one thing. Intrinsic meaning is something else. While there are times in your cerebral cortex those two things will align, most of the time they don't. (laughs) And that's why we need humility. There is so much pride and arrogance in the church. Well, we got all the answers. I read my Bible two times. That's great. It's good. I'm the first one to tell you to do it. But without the right worldview, all you're going to do is prop up biases and prejudices and agendas that suit yourself. It is absolutely vital that we have a proper, hermeneutical, exegetical, contextual interpretation of scriptures. This is why your worldview is so important. It's why it's so vital, because if we're going to see things, if we're going to get interpreted to our minds what God desires to have interpreted, we need a biblical worldview. Let me ask you this question Are there things outside of the Bible that might influence your worldview? What other things influence your beliefs? How much, how much time do you spend in this book compared to how much time you spend, say, on the internet? You say, oh, now you're getting, yeah, now you're getting. I'm not even saying it's wrong. I'm just, I'm just asking you to ask yourself some very basic questions. Could it be that the, in, that the internet is influencing your worldview more than the scriptures are? Just a question. I'm not judging. I'm not analyzing. I'm not comparing. Just thrown out a question. Could it be that television influences your worldview? It influences your set of beliefs more than the scriptures do? You say, what is your point? I'm not judging. I'm just asking a question. And if it is, then how can you trust your worldview? How would you even know if you were wrong? Because your perception becomes your reality and you would be arrogantly and proudly wrong and you wouldn't even be aware of it you say what is the point of all this see some of you are going to walk away and you're like i am determined to know the truth that's good but that's not actually what i'm trying to get you to do I'm trying you to get you to be humble enough to recognize that God resists the proud and the arrogant. And he gives his grace and his wisdom to those who are humble and those who are meek. That, that's where I'm trying to get you to. That the, that the doorway to Christ's wisdom is not you being like, ah, I can do this. The, 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 the doorway to this thing is humility. The doorway is to confess your arrogance and your pride and for me to confess my arrogance and my pride and confess it as the sin that it is so that the humility of Christ would rest upon me at which I'm in a position to then experience the worldview that Christ desires to give to me. Just real basic, this isn't exhaustive a lot of you, because of your worldview, you tend to look at this book as primarily a rule book. Because of the way you're wired, because of your past whatever. When you go to the Bible, basically you're looking for things to do. It's like a checklist for you. And a lot of that can be programmed into you. A lot of that is based on your perspective of hermeneutical interpretation and your view of hermeneutics at large. But you tend to view this book as a rule book. If I can just find enough things to do, and I can find it If I do this, and I do that, and I do that, then God will do this, and God will do that, and God will do those things. I hate to bust your bubble, but basically what you just described, that I do this, and then God does this. That is not gospel Christianity. Uh, that is Eastern philosophy of karma. <laughs> you believe in karma. Not gospel Christianity. Now, hey, if you want to believe in karma, that's your prerogative. You go off and believe in karma. But don't believe in karma and call it gospel-centered Christianity. You see, at this very core, I'm just... As I've studied the scriptures, as I go through its pages, I see primarily a love story. A narrative of redemption. From the first pages of Genesis, I see a God who in a sacred romance is pursuing the heart of broken, sinful people. And who is on a mission to restore those people, to restore their brokenness, to restore their weakness, to restore them and deliver them from their sin. Not in a self-improvement manner, but in a gospel-centered Jesus Christ taking your place for you. This, at its center, is a love story. But I promise you, if now, are there some rules here? Yes, but it's not primarily a rule book. It's primarily a love story. I love how the theologian D. A. Carson says it. He says the commands of the Bible are not a prescription for Christianity. They are a description of Christianity. Big difference. A prescription of Christianity says this is what you got to do if you're going to be a, this prescription for Christianity. A description says, when a person is focused on Christ, this is the fruit that develops. There's a massive difference. Can I say this? If you get off right there, you will end up in a position of self-righteous legalism. Because the focus is not supposed to be on the rules. It's supposed to be on the ruler. The focus is not the laws. The focus is the Lord. The focus is not the commands. The focus is the commander. I want you to say Christianity at its core is not a bunch of rules. At its core, I know it's cliche, but it's a relationship with a very real person. If the relationship is right and you are basking and dwelling and communing and enjoying and loving that dynamic relationship that you're experiencing with God, when that is there, the fruit takes care of itself the description of Christianity will manifest itself. One illustration on how our worldview affects even just how we enter into this book. Study the Bible. Saturate your heart in the Word of God. And then lastly, real quick, surrender in obedience. Surrender and obedience. You say, what do you, what do you, where do you get that? John chapter number 7 says this. It's really interesting. If any man will do God's will, then he shall know of the doctrine. I want you to see the order of this. If any man will do God's will, if there's a surrendered, yielded heart to this thing, then he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be a God or whether I speak of myself. And, got, and John is basically saying, hey, if you'll do it, then you'll know. You'll understand you'll be enlightened. This is how we begin to develop a biblical, healthy worldview. So, let me end with this. In Christ, I can know the way. In Christ, I can go the way. And in Christ, I can show the way. I can know the way, I can go the way, and I can show the way in Christ. Like we said at the beginning, no Jesus, no wisdom. No Jesus? Personally? Relationally? Experientially, not just academically, not just cognitively, not just intellectually, but personally knowing Jesus and you will experience and know wisdom. So here's the big takeaway and we'll be done. By God's grace, we need to be growing in our knowing. If you're like, man, you really, you confused me. This just, this went a little too deep for me today. Just walk away with that. We need to be growing in and our knowing of Christ. If, if nothing else made sense. And you allow the grace of God. To drive that deep into your being. We need to be growing by God's grace. In our knowing of Christ. Here in this passage we're being told. I am Jesus. And I am the light. Jesus saying I'm your hope for enlightenment. And true understanding. And because of the great I am. You and I can know who we are. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.